You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on this podcast. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. And today as a guest speaker, we have Mike Proust, co-founder and CEO at Visible that raised some VC funding and then it bought back some of their equity. So today we'll talk about the process called stock buyback and how it works in the startup world. So Mike, I'll let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Visible VC. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you having me on the show. Looking forward to, to chatting. So uh, yeah, in short, uh, I started Visible uh, back uh, in, in 2014, really with the goal of of helping founders and, and giving them a better chance of, of success. And at our core, we help uh, founders produce investor updates uh, that get sent to all of their investors and, and potential investors. Uh, and more recently launched a tool for investors uh, to monitor their portfolio, uh, help with their founders and, and give their, their companies a better chance of, of success as well. Uh, in terms of, of my background, uh, I grew up in the, the Midwest. So I grew up in, in Chicago. Uh, stayed in school there, but ultimately joined a, a startup called FormSpring, uh, which was originally based in Indianapolis, but uh, moved out to the Bay Area once we raised some some venture capital for that business. So I spent the beginning of my career uh, at, at FormSpring uh, out in San Francisco. And then from there, that's where I, I kind of fell in love with with startups, with venture, and, and decided to, to start Visible back in, in 2014. Mm-hmm. So... First question that I want to start with is uh, when did you decide that it's time to go and raise that VC money? So when was that point? You know, do you have some tractions already and you were like, okay, we need to scale our business up, or do you just have some sort of prototype and you've decided that you know to get some traction we need some VC funding? Or what was that moment when you're like, okay, yeah, now we need to go out and raise some money? Yeah, so I started uh, visible. You know, back in, in 2014, I think it was kind of an unconventional. I started it with uh, a venture studio, uh, two venture studios actually. So uh, one which is which is now High Alpha in Indianapolis, and one in Sproutbox uh, called Sproutbox. And so uh, we, you know, I think we're some of the first people that kind of pioneered the, the venture studio model. Uh, and so the we, we built the prototype and then used that to go raise a little bit of of early stage capital to to really take the business to market so we had a prototype uh and and wanted to use that then to go take the business to market so for us it was a more of a um a need to bring the business to market more than than anything else mm-hmm. all right so a lot of people i've seen raising money uh, one of their major issues while fundraising is that they have no traction whatsoever and how do you think you got over that barrier so what do you think helps you most to raise that you know, initial round of money yeah that's a that's a great question when i you know and we, we do this uh, you know for a living now with a lot of our customers and so i think when when you don't have traction or, or really the core metrics that you're sharing with investors then investors are really buying into two things. They're buying into the story and they're buying into the team. And uh, for us at uh, Visible, our team was investors. So we kind of had some pedigree around the table in terms of who was you know, incubating and, and starting this business. Uh, and then we had myself who, you know, I was a first time founder, but definitely had a lot of experience with 
uh, some of the domain expertise we were doing at Visible, which is around an, um, an investor reporting, board management, things like that. So I think we had a, a good story around the team. Uh, and then just our story in general was really around this idea of there's going to be more startups than ever, uh, you know, more investors than ever, and that's only going to continue to grow because, uh, you know, companies are, are staying uh, private longer than ever. And so uh, I think the story, right, is the other really core piece of any early stage fundraise before you have traction, which is, um, you know, how big is this market? How many companies are in this market? And mm -hmm. um, and why do you need, you know, venture capital? So, um, yeah, for, for us, you know, I think when, when you are, call it pre-traction, it's really comes down to the story and to the team. Absolutely, that's completely true. And, um, Let's talk about one more aspect of this sure. early fundraising that's still kind of debatable. Even for me, I have no idea what's the right answer. And I think there's just no right answer. But for you, did you have the exit strategy from the very first day of fundraising, or did you, you know, uh, do do you actually plan on that? Yeah, we we do not. Um, and the when you know that question gets asked to me, whether that's from a potential employee or an investor or you know i'm just doing a, a podcast i always kind of break it down into a couple parts i say uh if we build a, a company that people love to to work for first and foremost so you know taking care of our team and you know, people that work at visible and we take care of then of our customers making sure we're building a great uh, a great product experience something that's easy to use easy to buy easy to cancel and for us like most importantly easy to get support with and I think then it's like, yes, then the economics of, of an acquisition will take care of itself naturally. If we can if we can build a company that people love to work for and a product and experience people love to buy, then I think we'll have a great outcome no matter what. Uh, and so we don't really think about uh, exit or, or an exit plan or, or, or acquisitions. And, and that certainly hasn't been in, in any of our kind of fundraising materials where we talk about the business. And something interesting that actually I saw online, I think it was circulating this weekend, Hunter Walk from Homebrew, who's kind of a fairly prominent, I would say early stage investor, definitely active on Twitter, uh, said that over all of the, the pitches he's ever received, you know, tens of thousands at this point, uh, I don't think they've ever backed a company that had hmm. an exit slide in it. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that's kind of proof enough. Uh, I think the only people, and then I saw someone else tweet about this, uh, I actually say this tweet as well, but you know, I think the only people that would ask you for an exit slide are probably people you don't want on your cap table. I think those are like <laughs> the super old school investors that are investing in some sort of angel club, right? Where they're like, oh, we want to know our money's being protected and has an exit right. slide. Um, but those aren't, I would call those like unsophisticated investors. So uh, I agree. I don't know if there's a, there's a right or wrong answer, but I think it's definitely a faux pas if you have an exit slide on on your your pitch deck mm -hmm. right yeah that's super to be able to topic and to be honest i would recommend you know not to include because the more i ask this question the more i hear negativity about this like, yeah uh so just don't risk it you know if people ask you about the exit strategy just tell them uh but to not include it in your pitch deck um so next question is about our pre-interview call so there you mentioned that um, you also actively help founders to fundraise sometimes, yep. not actively, sorry. How exactly do you do this? Yeah, so with, with Visible, uh, for the longest time, we, we really just focus on investor updates. And the one thing we preach and, and continue to talk about 
uh, with fundraising is that one, it's very much a process and something that uh, you need to manage a process. And it's probably the most similar uh, to a B2B enterprise SaaS funnel. So you have, uh, you know, you're, you're identifying prospects. Uh, you're then getting them into some sort of hopefully uh, marketing cadence, right? Where they're considered quote unquote a marketing qualified lead. So like, hey, these are people that are probably would be interested or ideal customers of, of my product. Uh, then I have kind of a buying decision, which would be my fundraise itself. And then I have the customer success function, which is my current investors, right? How do I engage and retain uh, my, mm -hmm. my, my investors? And we always considered ourselves to be in that customer success function of the funnel, uh, which is an incredibly important piece, right? Which is how do I make sure that the investors currently in my business will invest again or invest more in future rounds? Uh, because if I, uh, that's a, a really negative signal, right? If um, I say, hey, Constantine, I, want, I would love to have you invest, you invest, and then I ask you, hey, let's participate in the next round, and you say no, that's a big red flag because a lot of investors are going to say, mm -hmm. well, hey, you have the most context and most history of this business, so something must be wrong with it. Uh, and so we, yeah, you know, we, we'd consider ourselves with that investor updates piece, I'd consider that to be uh, your, your customer success function. Uh, but now we're, we're helping founders in both kind of the middle of the funnel and the top of the funnel. So at the top of the funnel, uh, we, we just launched Visible Connect. So if you go to connect.visible.vc, you'll see this. It's a free open tool, very similar to Crunchbase or, or PitchBook, but a tool that we've built that uh, helps you kind of filter and find the right investors for your business. So you're targeting or thinking about the right people. Uh, so that could be by stage, you know, I'm doing a seed stage, I'm a SaaS business, uh, maybe in uh, the Eastern Seaboard and I'm doing uh, prop tech, for example. We'll let you filter by all those and hopefully expose folks that you may maybe don't even know that would be great fit for your business. Uh, and so, you know, we provide that. Uh, but then the really interesting twist we take on it is that that actually integrates with uh, a little lightweight fundraising CRM we've built directly with Visible. So with one click, you can add any of those people to your fundraising pipeline uh, with Invisible and manage that. And then from there, send those folks, you know, investor updates over time, because a lot of customers will send a, a, a potential investor update or to, to what they call friendlies, maybe once a quarter, which looks like a version of your investor update, but maybe has some things redacted like cash or other sensitive information, but it's going to include a lot of the great high level things about your company. Uh, because we think like, hey, if you're nurturing all of these investors that might be in your upcoming round, uh, then you're going to have a faster fundraising cycle, uh, more competitive terms, and you'll remove a lot of that getting to know you relationship building because at the end of the day, it is relationship building. Uh, so hopefully, yeah, this just makes the, the process more efficient. So uh, just to kind of play that back, yeah, we help with finding the right investors, getting them uh, and managing that process within the fundraising pipeline we have, and then using updates to you know, nurture them, whether you're currently in a fundraising cycle or even off a fundraising cycle, but people that might be a good fit for, for your business in, in upcoming rounds. Perfect answer. And by the way, I just took a look at connect.visible.vc. Looks really simple to use. And by the way, in pre-seed stage uh, section, there are a lot of investors with a check size of like between 25,000 to like 400,000. So based on my knowledge, a lot of you guys who and girls who are listening to this podcast, a lot of you are looking for that kind of money. So I'll definitely make sure to leave a link in the description of this episode so that you can take a look at it. Great. Yeah. Um, I think that just a, a quick note. Yeah. Thanks for doing that. 
And yeah, pre-seed and seed, I think, is where we have a lot of value. So anyone that has feedback, like it is a product we literally just launched in Alpha. So shoot us a note. We'd love to hear from you. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, I'll make sure that that link is in the description of this episode, along with Visible VC itself. Uh, but cool. next question that uh, I don't get asked as frequently as I wish to be honest, but the question that I personally have is like, how often should you, uh, you know, get in touch with your old investors or with prospect investors and update them on the course of the company? Yeah, that's a that's a good question and something we've put a lot of thought and, and time and, and research into and have our own data set now. And really, at the end of the day, I would say monthly is like the best cadence. Uh, mm -hmm. When you think about uh, a startup on a weekly basis, it's, that's just a lot of overhead to probably manage in an investor update on a weekly basis. And, and maybe things aren't changing that frequently uh, uh, week to week. Uh, but if you think about quarterly and extrapolate 90 days, so much can happen in a business within 90 days that right. you're probably, um, you know, too much is happening and you're going to have to write some long winded email update uh, and, and just too much time has gone between. So I think for all, almost all businesses, monthly is a great cadence. It, it allows you to kind of reflect in the past 30 days, which is my favorite part. You're like, holy crap, uh, we, we've accomplished so much in the past 30 days. What did we do well? Uh, what did we do poorly? Uh, maybe what are things we should start doing? Uh, so I think 30 days is, is a great cadence uh, for really any stage business. And then on top of that, um, uh, I think it's great for both you know investors and potential investors because at the end of the day, uh, your goal is to stay top of mind for either your current investors or potential ones, right? Uh, just, just by the nature of the business, there's so much happening uh, in an in investor's portfolio. Companies are fundraising, uh, hiring, doing BD deals. Uh, investors are sourcing new deals, right? And so uh, there's a lot of noise that's happening. And so you just want to make sure you're just top of mind because if you're hiring or looking for a customer or fundraising, an investor is talking to someone that could be a good fit, they're immediately going to think of you uh, if, you're, if you're being constant with that. So uh, you know, I would say... A quick answer is 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 monthly for a lot of businesses. Um, that said, you know, weekly, I will see that with accelerators. You know, if I'm going through an accelerator, it's a three-month program, I might send a very quick weekly update to advisors and mentors or potential investors. Uh, and then maybe you get later stage growth type companies where it is quarterly because you're going to have a more formal process and closing of the books and things like that. Uh, but I would say, you know, call it pre-seed to series B, a monthly cadence is, is perfect. Great answer, great answer, justified and just perfect. I totally agree with it. Yeah. Um, next question that I get pretty frequently, that one yeah. I get pretty frequently, uh, it's how much time should a founder basically dedicate to the fundraising process? So what's the adequate time frame of fundraising from the very beginning where, you know, they're just trying to get in touch with investors, getting, you know, to know each other, you know, establishing that relationship until the uh, round is closed? Yeah. And let's pretend, say, let's pretend this, this that the founder doesn't have any network at all. Yeah, that's that, that's perfect. Like there is that very rare company, right? That's like the hottest thing. The founders were successful in a previous venture and doing something new and has a built-in network. You know, you, you hear of those deals happening in weeks, but I think the reality for we'll call it ninety percent of companies, if not more, is that it is a month-long process. Sorry, months-long process, and. Uh, I, I don't have great data on this, so I'd be curious to hear hear your thoughts. But uh, you know, I would say, uh, call it you're raising a pre-seed or, or seed round from start to finish, 
it will take you at least, you know, three to four months. Um, and I'd always say like, whatever you think um, is going to be like your guess, double it at least, right? I mean, keep in mind that even just from the day you get a term sheet, when the money is wired to the bank, that's a month right there. That's typically 30 days yep. that happen in that process. So um, you're talking 30 days from a term sheet. So you got to back yourself up from a term sheet. Um, okay, so I'm going to have, you know, maybe call it two weeks of, uh, of finalized kind of partner meetings. So, okay, now we're at six weeks. Uh, back myself up from there. I'm doing intro meetings with, with folks and maybe some light diligence. That might be a month of work, and probably where a lot of a lot of time is spent is just finding the right investors and mm -hmm. getting that initial momentum built. So um, I, I'd be curious to hear what you think, but you know, I would say it, it's called a months-long process, and, and typically anywhere from uh, you know, call it three to six months, just depending on on how you're running your, your process. Right, I'd say that's my estimate. If you don't have any network, uh, that might take you even longer. So if you have you know, just a tiny bit of network that should take you, I would say, like six months, probably. So four months sure. just establishing those relationships and then and preparing all the you know, slides, all the information that investors will ask you. And then two months, I mean, one month actively reaching out to the investors you found. You actually should prepare the you know, big list of investors you'll reach out to. And then one more month for that you know, final closing thingy. Yeah. So yeah, six months, I would say, in my opinion, that's the adequate time frame for fundraising process, for initial fundraising process, by the way. Um, but let's talk about the fastest round that you've seen. You've mentioned rounds that have happened in like weeks, right? Yeah. Is that what's the minimum, minimum like the fastest round you've ever seen in your life? Yeah, it's hard. Obviously, for this is just from, from my own personal experience. I'm sure there's been rounds closed in 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 shorter time frame, but uh, I can't speak to. So when I was working at uh, Form Spring back in 2010, I want to say our seed round was completed in two and a half weeks. So it was pretty quick. Um, nice. but to give you to, to give you an idea of the type of company uh, Form Spring was, we went from uh, zero to a million users in, in 45 days and then to $10 million, sorry, to 10 million users in, in, in five months. So it had hyper growth um, behind it. And we are fortunate to get uh, introduced to a couple prominent investors in the Valley. So that def definitely helps. Um, so yeah, I think it was two and a half weeks was the fastest I've seen, but that is by far, I would say an outlier uh, in terms of, of fundraising timeframes. That's really interesting and extremely, extremely fast. So uh, nice work there. Um, so now let's move on to kind of something that was supposed to be the major topic yeah. of discussion for today, which is stock buybacks. Um, on our pre-interview, you've mentioned that you know uh, by now you've bought out some of the equity that you sold to the investors, basically. Can you yeah. elaborate on that process a little bit? Yeah. Uh, I, I won't get into just specifics just for, you know, to just to keep it all rather confidential but in terms of um, the mechanics of them. I'm happy to, to speak to that. So um, when we first started the company, uh, we raised some venture funding for the business. And so this is back in, in 2014 when we started Visible. And so uh, late in, in 2019, uh, we had an offer for the business and decided not to sell, but through that kind of just uncovered, hey, who was willing to 
maybe sell their position invisible and it would be happy with with you know any type of return and so we uncovered that through that process uh and then that led to a process of okay um well if this investor is going to uh, sell their portion of equity uh in, invisible then we have to make that offer available to all current investors and so you kind of go through this waterfall of who's able to buy the stock and at what terms. Um, but we were able to uncover, hey, this, this investor is um, willing to share, or sorry, willing to sit, sell some of their shares. And so we went through that process. Um, it is definitely, uh, uh, you're juggling a lot of balls in the air at one time. Uh, and it's something that, you know, obviously took a long time. This is, I, I think it's important to remember that, uh, you know, we didn't raise capital a year ago in, in 2019 or 18, right? This is kind of equity from we raised in the beginning. So I think for these particular investors, hey, we are happy to, to get out now and, and get a little bit of return. Uh, I think it would be harder, right, to, to buy certain investors out um, uh, within like a shorter time period uh, for, for us. So um, yeah, we were just able to uncover it, work with all the investors in the cap table and buy some of it out, but definitely time consuming and uh, difficult to manage. Right, right, absolutely. And a real question is that I had in my mind. I have only heard about uh, you know, stock buybacks in you know, large established companies where those companies mm -hmm. had you know, those huge you know, multi-million uh, buy stock buyback plans in place from the very beginning. Uh, how does it work for a startup? Yeah, so for us and Invisible and our startup, I will throw the caveat on here that uh, I'm not a lawyer, so obviously consult your lawyer here. Um, it also probably is dependent on your corporation docs and, and how it's all set up from, from a legal standpoint. Uh, but I think ours is probably pretty standard. Uh, so here's what happened. Uh, the investor kind of wrote me a letter as a CEO, said, hey, Mike, we're willing to sell it at that price. Um, and then uh, received that letter. Uh, and then a, a couple of things happened. Uh, one is the first uh, available purchaser is the company in this case. So we have the right as a company to buy the shares back mm -hmm. from the investor. Uh, and then in the case we would want to decline, uh, we're able to decline and then offer that up to all of our investors and say, hey, uh, investor A is selling their shares. Would any of you like to buy your prorated uh, allocation of those shares? Uh, also then there's also what's called a, uh, a co-sale agreement typically, especially when you're dealing with preferred security like we are. Uh, and they, they are able to say, hey, investor A is able to sell their shares. That's not fair. Um, I should be able to sell my shares as well. So any other investors can also offer up to sh to sell their their prorated versions as well. So you're kind of juggling a couple things. You're juggling um, who's going to participate in the sell in the in the sorry the purchase of these shares, and then you're also going to juggle um, who is going to be maybe interested in selling their shares and making that all work. Uh, and and the tricky part as well is a lot of times investors whether they're buying or selling might have certain kind of ownership targets in mind or, or, or allocation. And so if everyone decides I want my prorated uh, allocation, then a deal might not even happen, right? Because the investor's like, well, I wanted to buy, you know, or I wanted to sell 20% and now I can only sell 10%, for example. Uh, so you're, you're kind of also working with investors in that case to explain, hey, I really need the deal to get done this way because of this thing. Um, and if not, then the no deal is going to get done. And then maybe uh, something we want to do from a strategic angle is not going to work. So I think it's it's always just being upfront about the communication involved 
working with all of the investors uh, and, and sharing kind of what's happening um, throughout that whole process. So um, yeah, it, you're kind of juggling all of those different variables at the same time. Right, sounds pretty complicated to be honest, <laughs> both from the <laughs> yeah. strategic point of view and <laughs> the legal point of view. So let's, we'll not get into the technicalities of it. And quick question that I forgot to ask you, but yeah. that I personally love asking uh, you know, founders, it's if you could go back in time and change something in your fundraising process, what would it be? So maybe you would raise less money or in the contrary, more money, or would you raise from some other VCs or other type of funding or would be, what would it be? Yeah, I think for me as a first time founder, I look back at our first capital raise and I think the mistake we made was how are we going to use this money or what do we need it for? Um, you know, it's kind of a first time, a first time founder, you read all these articles about fundraising and seed rounds and, and how much people are raising. And so you're like, oh yeah, I need to go do that. Uh, and uh, for us at Visible, uh, we were fortunate. We got a term sheet and, and have great investors and, and said yes. Um, but I think I struggled as a CEO of how do I de effectively deploy that capital, uh, especially kind of, you know, when we raised that money, I would say we didn't quite have product market fit yet. And so I think we made we made hires maybe that we didn't need to make. Uh, and, and, and so I think for me, the biggest mistake was what is the purpose of this capital? Um, and I think that's maybe the biggest thing founders get caught up with, right? Because um, when you're raising capital, it shouldn't be to subsidize burn, which I think is what we are doing, right? It should be to accelerate growth. And those are two different things. And so I think, you know, for me, it's it's making sure early, like, all right, um, you know, later on, um, as I became more experienced as an operator and, and, and a founder, I, you know, I would say something along the lines of like, hey, if someone gave me a $2 million check today, um, I don't know where that gets us compared to a half million dollar check. And I think that's important, right? Because usually uh, raising capital is, 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 especially venture capital, is the most expensive form of financing for your business. And so you better make sure you have, um, you know, a great idea of how you want to spend that money because fundraising is time consuming uh, and expensive in terms time but then it's very expensive in terms of the cost of capital that you are you are providing uh, but it's all it's, it's such a catch 22 right because then you could also say um if someone's off if someone's willing to give you two million bucks and you only need a million should i take that too in case something goes wrong and i don't know if there i don't think there is a right or wrong answer there by the way um but i understand where uh you could you could really run into just like a lot of of pain thinking through that um, because everything has its, its pros and, and, and its cons. Absolutely. That's the pain of being the CEO of the startup. Uh, <laughs> and by the way, for those who, you know, who agree with Mike that you know, VC is, VC funding is basically one of the most expensive types of funds in the world. Basically you can go to fundreasonradio.com and there is a uh, you know, specific tab saying alternative sources of capital, which discusses basically everything except for VC money. So take a look at yeah, this. Yeah. Um, one last question and then we'll wrap it up. It's a call to action. What's the one thing you want the listeners to do as soon as the episode is over? Yeah, go to connect.visible.vc uh, and, and check it out and, and send me an email, just Mike at visible.vc. We'd love to hear your feedback. 
uh, maybe types of investors you'd like to see in there. Uh, it's something, and you know, we talked about a little bit on this episode. I think it's it's perfect for the audience, given uh, everything I know about fundraising radio. So early stage founders looking for funding, uh, we built this as a free resource for that. So so check it out. Would love your feedback. It's something we have a full time person working on, and so we're dedicated to to building it, growing it, and and making it better. That's awesome, and that's that's so cool that you've actually taken a whole person to work on that full time. That's really nice, and I'll make yeah. sure that I include both links to Visible VC and connect.baseball.vc and also I'll include the link where you can submit your idea and I'll personally review it and maybe pass it on to my network of mentors and investors. So definitely go to the description of this episode as usually there's going to be a ton of useful resources there for you and have a good day.